Well, we are going to just spend a little while looking at the passage of the Bible from John's Gospel that I read to you. It's preceded, for those who know their Bibles well, by uh, the third chapter and Jesus' meeting with a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus. And so we have chapter 3 and chapter 4, which very much revolve around Jesus Christ meeting with individuals. In the first case, in chapter 3, Nicodemus is a religious man. He's a, a, a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. And in the second case, uh, Jesus is speaking with someone who is a Samaritan. That is someone who would be a heretical sect in the days of Christ. We have a reflection on that in some of the conversation that's taken place. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament as being the word of God. They also did not accept that Jerusalem was the place where God had caused the temple to be built, and they had a number of strange ideas. So you could say they were um, heretics in, in the eyes of the Jewish nation, at least. Well, they were heretics, really. And for that reason, there was little love between Jews and Samaritans, which was one of the reasons, no doubt, that the disciples were so surprised to see Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman. But in each case, Christ is there with individuals. And it does remind us that personally, individually, we can know God. Personally and individually, uh, we can have a relationship with God through Christ, that the Lord Jesus does come to us. Obviously, not now in the flesh, but he still comes to us by his spirit. For example, as we hear the Bible being explained, and as we read it, and as we think about its teaching, the Holy Spirit draws very close to us. And the Lord Jesus once said these words, he said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost And so that is a great encouragement to us to think that God loves us and would speak to each one of us. Now, the woman expresses her surprise and she said, How is it that thou, a Jew, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no, this is the evangelist's comment, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There they are, it's the middle of the day, Jesus in weariness of the journey and thirst uh, sits down at the well side and he asks this woman for a drink of water or to draw up water for him. And she, she comes with, this astonish, with astonishment and this leads to this conversation, this vital conversation between her and Jesus. Let's consider first what this woman is lacking, what she doesn't have. Jesus pinpoints to us what she doesn't have. And in a way, as he speaks to this individual, he is speaking perhaps to many individuals today and maybe even some here. What does she lack? What does she not know? Well, Jesus says, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, Thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. 
What she does not know is who Jesus is, not just at this point in the beginning of the conversation. She doesn't know who, she, who he is. And secondly, she, she not only does not know something, but she does not have something. What does she not have? Well, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him. She doesn't know who he is, and she doesn't know the gift of God that is in his hand to give to her. And how real this is for so many today, especially in our own nation, sadly. Uh, even in a, what was once a Christian nation, we have to say increasingly, there are those many who do not know who Jesus is, and there are many who do not appreciate what he can give them. Perhaps some even here today. You don't know that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't know that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the triune God. You don't know that Jesus Christ came some 2,000 years ago, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that he lived some 33 years in this world, that he never sinned, that he was God's Son and Messiah, and he went about not only doing good, but displayed his messiahship through many wonderful signs and miracles. He raised the dead. He healed lepers. He uh, did many, many things that showed his deity. Uh, there's a mystery about the Lord Jesus because he is both God and man and yet one person. Just as there's a mystery in the Godhead that it could be three persons and one God. And there are many today who do not know that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross at Calvary, just outside Jerusalem, he wasn't dying for his own sins, in spite of the accusations brought against him, but he was dying for the sins of his people. A vast multitude of people who would repent and turn to him and believe upon him and have eternal life. There are many who do not know that. And many who care not to think about it or even allow to these days Christians to talk about it. But that's who he is. And coupled with this, there are many who do not know what he can give us. As it says here, he can give us living water. He can give us eternal life. He can give us life not only eternal quantitatively, that is forever and ever in heaven, but eternal life qualitatively. That is a wonderful fellowship and experience of God, to know God as your father, to know Jesus Christ as your elder brother, to know the Holy Spirit as your comforter, to know Jesus as your friend and savior. This is what he can give you. He can give you a clean heart, a heart cleansed from all sin. He can give you a new start, a new life, you're still the same you, in a, in a sense. You still will look the same. You'll still have the same tastes in many areas. But you will have new desires and new appetites. Not now to sin, not now to be selfish and, and to have many, many uh, things in your heart that are black and that you're ashamed of. But a desire for holiness, a desire to be like Christ. A desire to love your neighbor as yourself. You'll have these appetites. You won't be perfect just like that, but you will grow in grace. You will grow in the knowledge of Christ. 
And then at the last, heaven, when you die, it'll be falling asleep in Jesus. And you'll be in heaven forever with him. This is what he can give. This is what she lacked. This is what actually Nicodemus lacked, religious though he was. This is what this woman lacked, irreligious or heretical as she is. That was what she was lacking. But let's see, secondly, what she did have. Because Jesus makes reference to this. In verse 13, Jesus answers and says to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You see, this woman had a community in which she lived. She had a well to come to, a well with great heritage, Jacob. Uh, It was Jacob's well. Uh, It had much history behind it. It was a deep well. It was a, a working well. And it had what is essential for physical life. And we're thinking today of harvest. And, of course, absolutely basic to any harvest is water, is rain, and rivers, and irrigation. Essential for physical life, essential for material and earthly life. And she had that. And we have that, every one of us, every single person in the world. But she didn't have spiritual life. She had this water. And I would like to just remind you, and we need to be reminded in a country where we are relatively prosperous, to have this water is not the same as having living water, what Jesus has to give. It's not the same. And many people make the mistake, well, I live in a nice country, I live under relatively good government and relatively stable conditions, and I'm prosperous in this world's uh, idea of things, and uh, I have health and wealth and prosperity, and therefore I must be right with God. Well, no, it's not the same thing. Here is a woman, she has many relationships, but it's all to do with this water. It's all to do with this life. And I think you can just detect a note of allegory here, which often comes into the teaching of Jesus, a note of parable, if you like, that he's using an actual natural thing to explain a spiritual dimension. And he's talking about this water, that if you drink this water, you will thirst again. And it seems to me that this is an insight into this woman's life. This woman who is clearly not satisfied even with the things of this life, because she's been through five men, and the man she's with now is not her husband. And Jesus is saying, that's all this water. This water will run out. This water is to do with this earthly life. And what's more, it's polluted. It's a polluted well. It's temporary. It's brackish. It doesn't satisfy. There are ever-diminishing returns. And we see that, do we not? I'm not necessarily here picking on celebrities and media personalities. It's just that we know about them. We know that many of them illustrate the point here. You can have wealth. You can have relationships. You can have everything at your feet. And we know that so many of them are miserable. And they're on drugs And they're on booze and they're on all kinds of things to try and pep up their miserable lives. 
but they don't show it in the photo opportunities and their images. But they're drinking water from this, this well from which you will thirst and you're carrying on thirsting. You see, she doesn't have spiritual life. And the question I want to ask you, I must ask you, is do you have spiritual life? Just as water is essential, physical water is essential for harvest, so spiritual life is essential for a relationship with God. You know, this is one of the great accusations that God brought against his ancient people Israel, that she was substituting the wrong kind of life for spiritual life. He brings it, for example, in the great prophecy of Jeremiah. As he says in one place, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, the people of Israel had forsaken the Lord, and they were worshipping idols like Baal and Asherah. And they were idolatrous uh, and immoral rites connected with those types of worship. And they had become a society, no longer looking after the poor and the weak, but a society of fraud and corruption and of violence in many places. And the religious people were the worst of the lot. The priests and the pro- some of the prophets were the worst of the lot. What had happened? They'd moved from living water, the fountain of living waters, God himself, to broken cisterns that can hold no water. So this woman illustrates to us where so many of us are or were, where everyone is until Jesus Christ is their saviour. So we've seen what she's lacking, we've seen what she did have, and we now look thirdly at what Christ can give her. What can he give her? He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. This is what Christ can give her. Now, clearly there's again a parable working out here. Living water makes us think of white water. You think of these people who go canoeing and rafting on white water. These, uh, the water so full of foam and, and flowing and it looks pure and it looks clean. Well, it may not be so clean when you get to it. But thinking in terms of the parable here, Jesus is saying here is something that is crystal clean. Here is something that's white and flowing and pure. And here is something that will never run out. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. A supply that can never run out. A supply not only to yourself, but a supply to others. Because when the Lord Jesus comes into your heart and changes you, others are blessed. Others know it. 
Your spouse knows it. Your children know it. Your parents know it. Your brothers and sisters know it. Your colleagues know it. Your neighbours know it. There's another occasion in John's Gospel, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. The last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly, out of his inmost being, that is, shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Let him come to me and drink out of his inmost being rivers of living water. What a description that is of a Christian, a true Christian now. Not just someone who's got the name, but not the reality, but a true Christian who knows the grace and forgiveness and love of God. The prophet Isaiah prophesies of such that the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. I suppose it's hard for us to appreciate, especially after yesterday uh, and it's rain, to appreciate just what the prophet is here speaking about in a country that's arid, in a country that's often on the edge of being desert, hot desert. He's saying, you will be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. There's fruit, there's beauty, there's natural beauty there. And Jesus is surely referring to, when he speaks like this, the fruit of the Spirit what is the fruit of the Spirit? What, it is, what is it that God brings into our lives like a water garden? Well, the very things that we desperately need to have. He brings in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against these there is no law, says the Apostle. What is the opposite? The opposite is the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the natural man, as the Bible calls it. What's that? Adultery. This woman was an adulteress, wasn't she? Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. These are not just sins of the ancient Roman world. To have all that lot swept away and to have the beautiful fruit of the Spirit in your life, to have the past blotted out, to have a new start, to have a relationship with God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. What Christ can give her. And this brings us, as it were, to the climax of this narrative, who Christ actually is. Her testimony, this woman, as she runs from 
the well and she leaves her water pot behind her. I think there could be something allegorical in that. She's leaving behind in her excitement, in her delight, something which is very typical of her lifestyle at that time. You see, she comes to draw water in the middle of the day because she is an immoral woman and many will not mix with her. So she comes at an unsociable time where the sun's at its height. And she comes with her water pot, but now she leaves her water pot and now she runs off, notice, to the men. But it isn't for the same reason as she's been running after men before. Listen to what she says. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is not this God's Messiah? And Jesus has declared himself to be. He says to I that speak unto thee am. To give the literal uh, language there. I am. It's a divine statement. I am that I am. And he is the one who puts his finger upon the heresy, upon the wrong beliefs. You see, we all have our traditions. We all have our ideas. We all have what we've been brought up with. But what matters is what is true. And Jesus says, here's what is true. Actually, it doesn't matter whether it's Mount Gerizim here in Samaria or whether it's Mount Zion in Jerusalem where the temple is. What really matters is that the time is coming when you will not worship God in any physical temple. You will worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, he's moving her on. He is the truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must Worship him in spirit and in truth. Here is this, it's such a mystery, isn't it? Here's this man, he's tired, he's thirsty. He has two legs, two arms, he's, he's physical, he's human. In other places we read that he salivates, he produces saliva to rub on the eyes of a blind man. In another place we read that he sweats, drops, great drops as of blood. And blood comes out when the thorns press into his head and when the spear comes into his side and the nails. He's physical, he's fully human, and yet he's fully divine. And he is God's Messiah. And we need a saviour like that. Someone who knows what we feel and understands where we're at And sees life from the inside and yet he's so pure and holy and spotless and never wants to see sin. And his whole life is a self-offering up to God as he presents his faultless life at the last at the cross. Taking our place, being our substitute, dying for us. He knows this woman. He knows that you have well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. He knows all about her, and he knows all about you, and he knows all about me. And this kind of probing is painful, but necessary, because he's putting his finger on what has to go, and what has to be forgiven and to be cleansed, and has to go away, and has to be replaced by the beautiful fruit of the spirits. You see, it's a different kind of harvest now. The natural harvest, praise God for that. It keeps us alive. It keeps us going. 
And God sends his rain and his sunshine even upon devil worshippers and even upon cruel people because he's so generous and so kind. But he has a spiritual harvest. And he will water our hearts with that living water of, of what Jesus can bring to us and give to us of himself. If you knew this, if you knew who Jesus was, and if you knew what he could give you, you would ask him, and he would give it to you. He would give it to you. Because he keeps his words. He fulfills his promise. Is it about time, dear friends, that one or two here, three or four or more, ask, give me this living water. Make me a true follower of Jesus Christ. Take away the vile things, the sinful things. Give me a new start. Bring this wonderful harvest of God's love into my life. May it be so for God's glory.